Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. We all have thoughts and sometimes we believe them and sometimes we don't believe them. And sometimes we wrestle with them for a while and we and then we realize they're not true. Foreground is thinking, background is everything else. So meditation is the practice of turning that upside down. Hi there, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Ever wonder why your mind is a constant stream of mostly unnecessary and often troubling thought? Understanding how and why your mind fills in the blank is part of the path of perceiving reality more accurately. And when you're seeing things more clearly, you make better decisions, and then you enjoy your life a whole lot more. Leaders and managers in particular can't afford to be distorting reality. There's too much riding on your ability to see clearly. Are you ready to learn what to do about it? Here's an excerpt from a recent leader webcast. Thanks for listening. Here we go. I just started... I'm always updating you guys. Updating, that's a good pun, with my dating situations. I just started dating a woman uh, 18 days ago. Most promising possibility in three years. But we all know Joseph has a proclivity to project onto women what he wants them to be. So Joseph only, is... But you're the only one that does it. Yes. But I've... Uh, yeah. Everybody does that. <laughs> I saw I saw this great comic strip uh, recently that um, said uh, it's like a couple is together and one is saying to the other, um, "I really miss my initial preconceptions I had of you." <laughs> <laughs> is that great? <laughs> so, yes, we all do this, but Joseph has done it in spades, and uh, and has gotten a lot of life lessons in the last few years about it. So I'm really paying close attention now. Now this one's different because this is the first woman I've met from within a group of friends. So it's like already like comes pre-validated in some ways because there's you know um, the associative property of resonance is operating. Well, she's friends with so and so, and I like them, and that hasn't happened before in a while. So that's good news. But what I've been watching is it's, it's such a good lesson because I don't know her at all. And I notice from hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute, what, where I have these huge swings of opinions where in one minute, I'll be imagining spending the rest of my life with her. And in another minute, I've, I'm imagining, well, maybe it'll only last a couple months. And then another minute, it's like, you know what? I might not even never see her again. I haven't talked to her in a couple of days. And it's like huge amounts of energy and time and thought. And it's all completely made up. It's all completely made up. And in my most successful moments of like peeling through the cobwebs, I get to the truth of what actually is going on, which is what? You're getting to know somebody. Exactly. And I don't know a goddamn thing. I don't know where it's going. And that's actually what all that other stuff is trying to fill in. It's a fear of I'm opening myself up to someone in a vulnerable way and I don't know what's going to happen. 
and all that other stuff, the whole range of we'll be married and spend the rest of our lives together, or it's already over and she just hasn't told me yet. All that whole and everything in between is just designed to fill the hole of I don't know and I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And we do this all the time. It's just that in romantic situations, it just comes up. The I think the most clearest, the the most clear you can see it. Probably, you know, if you have children, that's probably another situation where it comes up. If you have employees, the more emotionally charged the relationship is, or the more um, potential pain could come from it. I imagine the more the projections come up because there's this something bad could happen, and I don't know what's going on. So the mind goes, "All right, let me fill that fear in with everything I can think of to try to protect you from it." That's all that's going on. And so the work is just about seeing that for what it is. And just that's literally how it feels to me. It's like I'm constantly clawing away these big cobwebs, getting to trying to get to the, to the, the truest feeling, which is not the resentment like, I can't believe she hasn't texted me in a day. That's the made up resentment. And then the, I can't stop myself from wanting to reach out to her all day, which is the other extreme. Neither of those have any real basis in reality. It's completely made up. And it's hilarious to step back and watch. It's all about feeling that I don't know. So the more you're comfortable with I don't know, the less those projections, those beliefs, the less control they have on you. I heard uh, Adyashanti, uh, an enlightened teacher, say, he was talking about his own experience and he, he described enlightenment very simply. He said, I just, I'm just not going to believe the next thought. Very simply and powerfully said. Imagine that. Because we all have thoughts and sometimes we believe them and sometimes we don't believe them. And sometimes we wrestle with them for a while and, we, and then we realize they're not true. But what he's saying is he's in a state of mind where he already is in a place where whatever next thought shows up, He's in a place of like, oh, maybe that's true, maybe not. Byron Katie sort of talks this way as well. I imagine she lives in a similar state. I'm not necessarily going to believe the next thought where you, you're coming from a place of not suspicion, but sus- suspended disbelief or sus- suspension of belief where you don't take your thoughts to be automatically true. Because most of us, well, we, we have the thoughts and we have an emotional reaction of the thought. We might even play out actions based on the thought. And then we find out whether it was true or not. This is, and mostly this is, it's not true. And mostly it's mostly. not, right? Or we think about the same thoughts for an hour and a half and go through all sorts of uh, reactions and energies around it. And then we go, boy, I've been thinking about the same thought for like an hour and a half. I should really stop. It's not helping me. Imagine a place where all of that is headed off at the past. Because every thought, every belief is evaluated before you indulge it in the slightest amount. That's interesting to me. That's, that, that is, uh, man, that is brilliant. I have been really tracking my thoughts and, and how I go down these rabbit holes. And mm-hmm. they are never, I mean, I don't, let's not say never, but m- most likely they are not true. And mm-hmm. to go ahead, to go into a thought and, and think that way, wow, that's, crazy that that sounds uh, like something like you and that's thanks kurt and that's what meditation is if you if you practice it in an effective way meditation is simply 
identifying with the space between the thoughts. That's another way of saying this. When you identify with thoughts, when you think you are your mind, when you think you are your thoughts, you have to believe them because they're you, right? But if you practice identifying with this bigger in-between the space that the thoughts happen inside of, then the thoughts are not you and you don't have to believe them. And so this is why meditation is one of the best ways to clean up your beliefs because you're practicing in that moment. You identify with the space. You just pay attention to one of my favorite questions to get me out of my head is what's happening right now besides thinking? Because thinking, and you guys are all sharp people. So your minds dominate your experience, just like for me by default. What's happening besides thinking? This is such a critical question to ask because we let thinking become the foreground of our experience. What, what, we're, what usually our default mode is, what's happening? Uh, thinking is, is what's happening. Uh, how do I say it? What's the, what's the inverse? What's the inverse of um, what's happening besides thinking? <clears throat> I don't know how to describe it. It's like... Nothing. Nothing's happening besides thinking. <laughs> yeah, right. That's pretty good. Something like that. Maybe it's the elephant in the room that you, when you're thinking, you can't have anything, notice anything else. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, we're, right, we're so in our thinking and then we relate to, oh, there's some other stuff happening back to thinking. There's some other stuff, but you know, it's like foreground is thinking, background is everything else. So meditation is the practice of turning that upside down, especially by realizing how little reality there is to thinking. Right, because your mind says, "Oh, this thought is important, and this thought is important. This is probably true, and really need to think about this for a couple of hours." But if you really look at it, like when you're falling asleep at night, thinking about all the stuff you did today and all the stuff you're going to do tomorrow, and you stop and go, "Is this really freaking helping me right now at all?" Nothing. No. Like, am I preparing? Am I making a to-do list? Like, if I don't think about this right now, is all? Do I really need to be doing this? If I don't think about what I'm going to do tomorrow, is it not going to happen? That's what your mind thinks, right? 90% of your thoughts are completely useless. So what's really going on there? Your mind's not stupid. All it's doing is just anchoring your identity in mind so that you're not paying attention to anything else. That's all it's really doing. My, my wife struggles with being able to fall asleep because her mind races. I'm just—I don't even know what it is. Where I don't have that problem, I can shut it off and fall asleep in five seconds. Mm-hmm. She gets, she gets mad. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, is that it's like the the worst case scenario when I take control and it becomes upset or something? I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. That's one of the ways it can show up. Yeah. I mean, minds can do all sorts of things and racing and keeping you awake is one of those things. You should invite her to start meditating. So like I said, it's about you're identifying with the space in which thoughts happen. Another way to meditate is to pay attention exactly to that. What Noticing the space between the thoughts. You just sit there and watch your thoughts and try to slow them down. Not like in a willful way, just notice like slow the videotape of your experience down. You'll notice you have a thought and then it will pass. And then there's a space, like tracks on a record. There's a space and then the next thought happens. And then the next thought happens, but there's a space between the thoughts. 
And there's a space that the thoughts happen inside of. Just the same way we notice the furniture in a room, but we don't notice the space inside a room. There has to be space in a room for there to be furniture in the room. There's something that's just as... The space in the room is a cool metaphor because in one way, like the space in a room, the air in a room, we could say it's not tangible, but you know it's there, right? Because if there were no air in the room, you wouldn't be able to breathe. It's not a vacuum. You know there's something. And, and there's that, you know, that I'm moving my hands through something right now, gesturing, right? I can't move my hand through this. This is there, so that can't be there, right? For, for my hand to be in this space, there has to be something there. What? Space. That's true in our own experience. So you're looking like you're asking yourself, what is, what, what is the space that my thoughts happen inside of? That can be experienced. And when you can experience it, your thoughts take a back burner that you see them as secondary. The same way like a good interior designer or a feng shui person can see space secondary to the stuff in the room. You never, some, I'm terrible at that kind of stuff, but some people will be like, I think the couch should be six inches to the left. See how it's kind of crowding this doorway? A doorway, that's a space, right? They're seeing the space. They're seeing the path of the energy flow in, in a room. Really well-designed spaces is, are such that the, the furniture is designed to create a certain kind of space for the space, right? You have to be able to see both, the stuff and the space. If you can only see one, you're at a disadvantage. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.